time for your Saturday morning coffee with Reese Boyd. Reese Boyd is on right now. Talk 94.5. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is 7.08 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, May 21, 2022. Thanks for joining us here on the big show. I am, of course, Reese Boyd, local attorney here in town with the firm of Davis and Boyd, attorneys of law, attorneys at law. I'm your host for Saturday Morning Coffee. Welcome to the show here at Saturday Morning Coffee. We invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee. Join us as we talk about the news, current events, all the things happening in this world that we think you need to know. And my, how much uh, there is to talk about this week here at Saturday Morning Coffee. We are all about just a few things, limited government, lower taxes, all the things that mean more freedom, more freedom for you, more freedom for me, more freedom for all of us who are we the people. We've got a country to save, folks. If that isn't clear to you now, I don't know what more needs to happen. Uh, we've got a country to save, and it, it is an imperative uh, that, that all of us must face. The, uh, the country literally hangs in the balance. It's incredible where we are, but we've got, uh, we've got to uh, face uh, the, the problems that we have before us. We're in dire straits, folks, and uh, so we've got a lot to cover today. Joined here in the studio, as always, by pro- producer extraordinaire, Dr. Glenn Dye. Dr. Dye, how are you this morning? I am doing great, Reese. How are you this uh, morning? We're doing good. We're having some technical difficulties here in the studio this morning. My, <laughs> His microphone fell off the stand. Yeah, Mr. Microphone hanging yeah. by a thread this morning. And, so. and that is the thread. Uh, you, that little screw right there is like a $30 screw. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's ridiculous. So, so we need to we need to spend some. So money. we've been uh, we've been constructing the studio here in this in in the uh, <laughs> office this morning, but we're working uh, we're working on it. We're getting it done. So I'll find some duct tape. Yeah, we might need some <laughs> duct tape and some WD forty uh, for this episode of Saturday Morning Coffee. It is uh, fascinating uh, all the things that are happening this week, uh, Glenn. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Don't even know don't even know where to begin uh, this week. <laughs> well, let's start with the PCRScomputers.com text line. Andy, yeah. the bass player, Andy Thompson, he had a busy week. Played every day this past week, I believe, uh, with eighty four overdrive. Uh, a little less humidity. Good to hear. Uh, add a little less inflation, and we're headed in the right direction. In the right direction, absolutely. Um, you know, we've got a. Quite a few. By the way, you did a great job last week with Savannah. I want to thank you guys uh, for sitting in. At, She's such uh, a sweet girl. Isn't she great? Mm-hmm. She's awesome. We, of course, were up in Columbia. My daughter was uh, with the Christian Academy Saints soccer team playing for the state championship. Both the girls and the guys were playing for the state championship. So hats off to the Saints. The guys won. Uh, the Lady Saints played a great game. They did not win. Okay. But we had a great time, a lot of fun. So it was a great uh, day. And Savannah, of course, Savannah Craven sat in for me as a host on the microphone last week. So great job from uh, Savannah. Great. It was kind of weird. We were driving down the road listening to the show. It was kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. But uh, but enjoyed that. And I uh, want to thank Savannah for standing in. So it's uh, a, But y'all did a great job. And, of course, uh, we're glad that the Saints won at least one of two games. So we got uh, some statewide ski soccer champs here in Myrtle Beach, the South South Carolina Independent School Association, state champs in soccer, Coastal Academy Men's Saints. So congratulations there. Also, uh, 
Wanted to give you guys a little update. We were talking last week about the 2000 Mules movie. Mm-hmm. That's showing. That took place last week, last Saturday. That was uh, at the O'Ree County Republican Women facility out at uh, Waccamaw, the Waccamaw Pottery Complex. Great movie. Don't know if, have you seen that yet? I have not yet seen it. It's been a real busy week for me, but it is on my computer. It's ready to watch. I, I really want to encourage everybody uh, to see that. There's been, you know, a lot of discussion this week about what the movie proves, what it doesn't proves. Uh, we might get a chance to, uh, you know, talk about that a little bit uh, today, but it's one of those things that I think everybody needs to see. It, it doesn't necessarily prove that the 2020 election was a fraud, Glenn, but what it does is it is, is it presents Dinesh D'Souza and his team and TrueTheVote.org. They present, in my mind, and I and when I see something like this, I, I watch it like a, a lawyer. I watch it with a critical eye, um, thinking about well, what's what what assumptions are they making? Because everybody, when you set to do when you set out to do something like that, you make some assumptions about where you're starting, what you're gathering, the information that you're going to present, and what you attempt to prove uh, through whatever information you you're going to show the audience and i'm always like most of us looking at it saying well what assumptions are they making are they really proving anything like i saw the mike uh lindell uh special the movies that he did on the 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 video specials that he did on the election and frankly they they just weren't that convincing um and and of course after they were broadcast various people that were you know above my pay grade in the in the it department uh, came out and said, you know, it really doesn't necessarily prove uh, what they're saying it proves. It, all of that never really amounted to a whole lot. The whole right. idea that the that the election was hacked by foreign servers. I don't know that we ever proved that, you know, nothing happened, but we didn't necessarily, nobody has actually proved that, that, that it was hacked in that one. But the thing about the, tw- the 2000 Mules movie, it doesn't necessarily prove, in my mind, that the election in 2020 was a fraud or that the results would have been a particular way in any particular jurisdiction. What it does prove is that, that there were various jurisdictions, the various swing states, where there were massive amounts of attempted fraud going on. We don't know the impact of the fraud, but we know that it was being attempted. We know that there was a concerted effort. There was a conspiracy to go out and round up all these ballots and to put them in these drop boxes at, at all hours of the night. For instance, throughout the movie, they use... Uh, cellular geo-tracking data to pinpoint the location of various individuals that came within the proximity of these drop boxes. And once they uh, figured out from the cell phone data that's publicly available who was in the proximity of these drop boxes, they said, okay, how many times should you go to a drop box in any uh, given period of time uh, in in a normal routine? And so they started looking at people that had multiple visits. And you had people that went to... Multiple drop boxes, Glenn, sometimes two dozen drop boxes, a dozen or more drop boxes, sometimes two dozen, uh, and we're talking about ballot drop boxes, mm-hmm. dropping off ballots, sometimes a dozen times within a 24-hour period, sometimes more than that, driving hundreds of miles in some instances. They could track their path with the cellular data that, again, this is publicly available data that you can that anybody can buy from the cell phone company. It's all aggregated. Then you just have to analyze it and pick out the patterns and and, and get folks that know what they're doing to figure out what the data means. And right. But they identified these individuals that, that went to dozens of drop boxes, and they were doing these visits between midnight and 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if, you're, if you're not up to anything improper, why are you doing multiple drop boxes in a 
six-hour period driving dozens, sometimes hundreds of miles to visit a dozen, sometimes two dozen or more drop boxes. If it's all above board, these ballots that you're dropping off, why not drop them off in broad daylight? Yeah. Why not drop them off in the middle of the day and on why, your way to school? And why take a selfie of you at yeah. the drop box why so you take get a selfie? paid? The video, that they correlated, they then correlated, the second piece of this was correlating all the cell phone data with video surveillance footage that was available for many of these drop boxes. And of course, as you said, there were people photographing themselves at the drop box. For what purpose was that? Yeah. Uh, souvenir. The <laughs> belief is that that's how you get paid. You, right. you, you, you take a picture of yourself at the, at the drop box to prove that you were there. And of course, the people that were going to the drop boxes at all of, of these hours in the middle of the night, they're wearing surgical gloves. Mm -hmm. They're putting on uh, surgical gloves to uh, prevent themselves from leaving fingerprints on the ballots that they're putting in the drop boxes. And of course, we learned in the movie that, you, or you will learn in the movie, that in Arizona, the FBI indicted uh, several people. They were arrested for ballot box stuffing for harvesting ballots. And what they did was they looked at the at the envelopes that the ballots were in. They got the fingerprints off the ballots. And that's what, that was the basis for the criminal indictments. They, they realized that ballot harvesting and trafficking was going on based on the number of, of ballot envelopes that they found that had the same fingerprints on them. Mm. And so suddenly, as soon as that happens, the people that are involved in this effort, suddenly they all start wearing surgical gloves. And you can see them after they put the ballots in the in many of them in, in many of the videos. They put the ballots in the box. They immediately take the uh, plastic Love gloves off their hands and throw them in a in, in whatever trash band or trash can is uh, is close at hand. Huh. So, again, it doesn't necessarily the movie doesn't prove necessarily any improper result in any particular jurisdiction it doesn't necessarily prove how many ballots that were stuffed in the boxes were improper ballots hopefully this this movie will be the impetus for more to come right wake up america yeah hopefully yeah. this and and i'm un, i'm under the understanding I've, I've read a few articles about thing these processes may already be starting in arizona where law enforcement is taking the information that True the Boat has, and they're finding these mules, these people who made these multiple visits to election box drop boxes, multiple visits, and finding them, figuring out, tracking out, okay, who's the individual behind the cell phone number, mm -hmm. contacting them and interviewing them, saying, hey, who's paying you? Who paid you to do this? Why did you make 14 visits to drop boxes on the night of such and such? And yeah. so, and that's what needs to happen. The, the, this is really, it's a starting point. I mean, it's a it's a great accomplishment, but really, it's just a starting point, and hopefully, it will lead to further investigations and the involvement of law enforcement. Uh, Tim, the car detail guy, has a question. Uh, he says, "Wait, people's cell phone data where they're located is public. You can buy it from the cell phone company." Wow. Yeah, and that's probably how a lot of investigations go on with uh, murders and yeah. things like that. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't come with your name, but it become it's aggregated in uh, in a form that can be tracked back. For any one of these records, and you get the data points to that, that number. It can be tracked back to a specific cell phone number. Yeah, mm. and and anybody, and True the Vote for purposes of this movie, bought millions of dollars worth of cell phone data. We don't know how much money they spent. I don't know how much money they spent, but it was a lot. It was a lot of money. They bought a lot of data from mm. the cell phone companies. Then they aggregated that with the video surveillance data, and I watched some special about where they are now. They've got like two petabytes of data. I don't, I, I don't even know how many terabytes that is, but mm -hmm. it's like 
uh, a lot. It's, it's a lot of data <laughs> that they have data. gathered on on this project. So hopefully more will come. But it was um it was a great movie. I just want to tell you, James yeah. James from Myrtle Beach. Uh, Biden promised to unite the country. He has. Everyone with a brain despises his presidency. That's yeah. a pretty good way to put it. Yeah, that uh, is a tr- is a great point. He's uniting us around the idea that he's doing a bad job and he needs to go. And this is the guy that promised to bring America together because we were so divided with Trump, right? Oh yeah, we've actually got a clip from his inaugural address. Uh, Fox News reminded of reminded it. Uh, us of that this week, Glenn. So we've got a little clip from uh, the president. We'll get to that. We've got a great show yeah, coming tease up. Tease everybody on this great show. Hey, we've got a great show coming up. We're going to be talking to Tom Rice, congressman for the 7th District. Of course, we've been allowing uh, candidates for the 7th District race to come in and, and other candidates as well, but we've been uh, specifically trying to get to the 7th District race candidates lately. So Tom Rice is going to be joining us a little bit later in the program. Also, we're going to be talking to Jeannie and Carter Smith about the situation with Roe v. Wade. Jeannie and Carter Smith run the Coastline Women's Center, and uh, we're talking to uh, them in the second hour of the show. Glenn, what do you, what do you got? I've got uh, Pamela Everett in here on my list. Uh, no, that's a typo. we got uh, Jeannie and Carter Smith well, coming we're always, in. The, we're always happy to hear from the lieutenant governor. Yeah, she will not be joining us today, but maybe in a future episode we'll get her back on the okay. program. But we're going to be talk, talking to Jeannie and Carter Smith from the Coastline Women's Center. So y'all stick around. We've got a lot to cover here on the show today. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. Text us, 843-798-TALK. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Hi, everybody. It's Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee. And we're talking today with Greg Sisson of the Greg Sisson Real Estate Team. Greg, there's a question that's on a lot of people's minds these days, and that is the question of a bubble or a crash. Is there a real estate bubble, and are you concerned about a possible crash in the market future? Boy, Reese, great question. And, you know, obviously we don't have a crystal ball, but people are thinking about the crash because they remember 08, 09. There's two big differences in 2022. Number one, people have a lot of equity in their homes across this country with appreciation we've seen. Number two, all those bad loans, anybody that didn't have a job or income got a loan in 2005, 6, 7, those loans have not existed for 10, 12 years. So I think the answer is no, but call me to talk about your situation. Reach Greg and the Greg Sisson team, EXP Realty, at 843-251-2693 or reach them online at gregsisson.com. It's Greg Sisson and the Greg Sisson team, your choice for real estate experts here along the Grand Strand. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. I don't believe it. Don't touch me. Hey, Ray. Hey, Sugar. Tell them who we are. Well, we're big rock singers, we got golden fingers, and we're loved everywhere we go. That sounds like us. We sing about beauty and we sing about truth at $10,000 a show. Right. We take all kind of pills to give us all kind of thrills, but the thrill we never know. It's a thrill that'll get you when you get your picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour 725 on your Saturday morning. Thanks for joining us here on this edition of Saturday Morning Coffee. 
Great to be with you. I did not get to the dial-in number in the first opening segment of the show. Of course, you guys are always welcome to join us here in the show, on in the studio on the show. 843-903-2945 is the call-in number. We've also got a text line that all of you mostly are familiar with. It's the PCRXcomputers.com text line. That number is 843-798-TALK. That's 843-798-8255. You can also text uh, your or email your comments to the show. ReeseBoydSMC at gmail.com is the email address for Saturday Morning Coffee. That's ReeseBoydSMC at gmail.com. You can tweet your comments to me. At ReeseBoyd is the Twitter handle. Uh, and if you follow at ReeseBoyd on Twitter, then, of course, you'll get uh, updates every time we post a podcast episode to the podcast page. Many of you also like to call to talk about show topics, other issues, legal issues, uh, how we can help you uh, during uh, normal business hours. Maybe not so much on seven uh, in the seven o'clock hour on Saturday. The number that you can reach me during the week is, of course, 843-839-9800. That's the offices of Davis and Boyd. That's the day job. But we invite you guys to uh, chime in. Let us know how you're doing. Uh, let us know what's on your mind this morning. Uh, always uh, welcome you uh, here on the show anytime. It's a um, it's a joint venture here, and we appreciate uh, everything that uh, y'all contribute to the show. Want to remind you that Saturday Morning Coffee is available as a podcast, and you can always find us in just about any podcast platform: Apple CarPlay, Google Podcast, uh, Spotify. Just uh, search for Saturday Morning Coffee and look for the familiar red and blue coffee cup logo. Click listen now or subscribe, even better, and you'll get updates every time we post a new episode to the podcast uh, page. And of course, uh, when you do that, we'll uh, we'll also get uh, good feedback about how much our uh, podcast episodes are being listened to. So we appreciate uh, everybody listening uh, to the podcast. It's a great way to listen at your convenience if you happen to miss an episode here on the radio. Man, so much going on, Glenn. It's hard to uh, even keep up. It, uh, as I mentioned in the in the first segment. I mean, there is just so much happening in the world today. It is yeah. it is unbelievable. You got uh, this week we found out that the Biden administration going to be uh, uh, joining the World Health Organization in a pandemic preparedness treaty that sacrifices uh, large portions of U.S. sovereignty to the World Health Organization. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. We all know what a great job the World Health Organization did responding to the uh, pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. So... Obviously, we need to give our national sovereignty to Tedros and the World Health Organization. That makes just a ton of sense. It is like a it is like a ter- a turmoil uh, filled snowball. It just keeps rolling down the hill and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. A bigger disaster every day. It's it's unbelievable. It really is. If this was a Republican in office, oh my God, it, we would have already been through impeachment hearings. Oh, you absolutely. Know you know that probably right after Afghanistan. And also, the House and Senate voted this week to uh, send forty billion, just a little bit of a uh, little bit of walking around money, to Ukraine to uh, help pay for the cost of the Ukrainian uh, efforts uh, to defend their country from the Russian invasion. In invasion, the uh, ongoing war there. Of course, this week the House also passed in response to the tragic shooting in Buffalo, a white, uh, excuse me, a, well, there was a white supremacy bill, but it was a domestic terrorism. Bill aimed primarily at the uh, the bogeyman of white supremacy, and uh, white supremacy is the uh, literally the uh, explicit target of uh, the legislation. And so they're going to stamp out white supremacy in the country. They don't mention other forms of uh, evils, terror in the uh, on the domestic front, but right. uh, and then nor, nor does it define 
white supremacy, but it specifically instructs the, uh, the government to, uh, to, to root out white supremacy in our midst. So that's an interesting uh, development. We can spend the whole show talking about that. Uh, so much uh, going on. We've got, uh, they're cracking down on free speech in Cuba. There's uh, rioting in uh, Sri Lanka because of uh, the Chinese uh, Belt and Road Initiative is now uh, compromising their ability to feed their people because they've become indebted uh, to the PRC. I mean, just it's it's an incredible um, uh, amount of uh, news that we have to digest this week. And of course, the economy, folks, is tanking. We've got uh, a, a, an economy that is essentially in free fall, eight straight losing weeks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That's the first time that that has happened since 1932. And uh, the NASDAQ has lost about 25% of its value since January 4. So a lot to, to look forward to that. Of course, crime continues to be rampant. We've got a southern border, Glenn, that is porous. People are pouring across. We've imported, I say we've imported, there's been enough fentanyl that's crossed the border on the, uh, the southern border with Mexico, enough fentanyl that's crossed the border just this year to kill us all two and a half times over. Every American yep. dead two times over, two and a half times over. And yet uh, you've got a president who seems to be much more concerned about Ukraine and and a mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, right. than he is about what's happening in Texas. Oh, that's been going on, and I don't know why it's ignored. I don't know why. The American people have all woke up now. I believe um, a lot of people are not going to vote Democrat. They're going to vote Republican, I believe. I mean, shoot, Bill Mayer. You saw what happened with Elon Musk and Bill Mayer. Elon, yeah. Elon well, now Bill Maher says he now, and of course, now the president wants to fix the uh, inflation problem by spending even more money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, now that's, that makes a lot of sense. That's Biden's remedy. Now, let's bear in mind, they spent 20 trillion dollars in the American rescue plan. 20 trillion dollars. They've gone back and they they've spent even more money since then. We had, of course, build back better. Um, and there was essentially no real production that occur occurred in the economy. The spending was not based on real economic growth. Yeah. This spending was based on basically printing the money and injecting it into the economy, which reminds me, Glenn, where is this money that we're spending in Ukraine? Where is this money coming from? I would guess China. <laughs> well, I think, the, I think the answer is we're just printing it. Well, yeah, um, it'll be an interesting I'd like to hear Tom Ross's uh, Tom Rice's thoughts on that. Right. Because the, the, the real question becomes, at what point do we get into an inflationary spiral? Um, because I think now people. Well, <laughs> that's a very good question. Yeah. People are saying, you know, the official rate of the CPI, they, they touted uh, that inflation. The mainstream media touted last month that inflation softening. Because it decreased from the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, decreased from 8.5% in the prior month to 8.3% last month. Woo! Mm. That's big relief yeah. there. And, of course, the wholesale price, what, what the, the producer price index, the PPI, what we used to call the wholesale price index, is even higher. Right. Significantly higher than the consumer price index, which is usually the case. But, of course, all those increases in wholesale prices, in intermediate prices, eventually make their way through the through the the economy and and impact consumer prices. Right. So it's coming our way, and and the question becomes: When do you get to a point where uh, all these price increases uh, force employers 
to pay more wages because people simply can't afford, they, they, they can't afford to get by. So wages start going up. All those wages that must increase to keep, uh, keep pace. Try and keep pace. To try yeah. and keep pace with, with folks' increased cost of living. Then create, I mean, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Then create additional cost in the production of goods and services, obviously. And that gets translated back into higher prices, which costs people more at the pump, costs people more at the checkout line at the grocery store, costs people more wherever they go to spend money. So you see, we've created a loop. Yeah. And that inflationary spiral, that's what happened in, uh, that's what happened in Weimar, Germany, uh, between the two world wars. You had, you know, you had folks going to the grocery store with wheelbarrows full of cash. Because in order to buy a week's worth of grocery, you had to have a, a wheelbarrow full of cash. Right. So, But look what's going on at the southern border. We've got millions of people literally coming across our border that are going to be supported by our government, by our taxes. They're coming over with no money. There's no rich people that I yeah. know of coming across the southern border. They're going to have to have support. They're going to have to have food. Uh, and that is going to cost the American public even more money. There was a um, – you're absolutely right. There was a great uh, editorial – that was written by the uh, CEO, the outgoing CEO of FedEx, uh, Glenn, and he said he mentioned himself. He mentioned that, you know, what this government has done on a fiscal policy basis is outright negligence. It's, it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's criminal, frankly. I do but, too. But it's, uh, it's at the very least, it's one of the most negligent episodes of malfeasance in government in our history. And he said, you know, that we did not get the the Biden administration and the Democratic Congress did not get all the spending that they wanted. And and <laughs> still got 40 when, yeah, yeah, when we did the bill back better, I think that was one point nine trillion. If we had gotten the full package uh, that they wanted, I mean, they wanted more money. Mm-hmm. If he says if, if they had gotten the full package that the Democrats wanted in that um, in that spending bill, that inflation would be well over 10% now. And so, and, and folks are, folks are really mad. I think folks are really mad. And I think, I think what I'm sensing is that we still have a government that does not appreciate just how angry folks are. Um, I think they're out of touch. Yeah. And it's not just Democrats, by the way, I saw Mitch McConnell stand up last week. Uh, They had a, a, I'm sure you probably saw it as well, press conference. And he said, you know, I think we can all agree that the biggest problem that we face in the world today is uh, is Ukraine. And I thought to myself, uh, no, Ukraine is not the biggest problem that we face. The biggest problem that we face, uh, Glenn, is the fact that we don't have a border as a country and that our economy is collapsing right before our very eyes. Yeah. That's what that's what people are concerned about. And they're not just concerned. They're angry Um, and they've got a right to be angry. Sure. And look, the vote from the moms, you've he's ticked off a lot of moms and dads here in the past couple of months. Absolutely. You know, if you can't feed your baby, there's people who have been to countries and seen that malnutrition. It is just one train wreck after another. What is it? A dumpster fire inside a train that uh, we had yeah, some kind of saying. It, it's a dumpster fire on the back deck and of, it's the, exactly, of the Titanic. It's exactly what we said was going to happen. Yeah, if, if Biden got elected, this there, is this is not a this, this is not a surprise. No, it's not. But I have to say, I, I'm I'm over. I, I tell people, look, I don't think you and I could have destroyed the country any faster no, if no. we had set out to destroy it. If right. that had been our objective, they elected. Let's elect Glenn Dye president. Glenn, <laughs> we want you to destroy the country, and do your best. Godspeed. And I don't think you could have done a better job than Joe Biden no, has. No. 
it's almost like it reminds me of that movie. Do you remember that movie? I think it was a um, who was it? J Lo, maybe. How to lose a guy in ten days? Yeah, dates. Yeah, How yeah. to lose a guy in ten dates? Yeah. It's almost like the. MO of this administration is how to destroy a country in 24 months. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the path that we're on. It seems deliberate. It does. Very deliberate. It seems deliberate. And so it's just, it's really unbelievable. I know some of the listeners have friends and maybe they're Democrat, but how many of your friends have said that they're going to vote Republican, that they're they're done? You know, the the evil, uh, that's what Elon Musk said, right? The, the That the... Uh, uh, in the past, I voted Democrat because they were mostly the kindness party. Yeah. But they have become the party of division and hate, so I can no longer support them and will vote Republican. Yeah. Now, that is where that is where Bill Maurer uh, said last night that he parts ways with yeah. Elon Musk. Yeah. But having said that, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, people – and it's kind of like that old expression that Ronald Reagan had. It's not that Elon Musk left the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party has left him. Yeah, absolutely. So Absolutely. So a little bit more I wanted to talk about from Fred Smith, the founder of FedEx. A lot of wisdom in that article that we haven't had a chance to speak about yet. We'll get to that and a lot more, more to come here on Saturday Morning Coffee. So much to talk about. invite you guys to uh, chime in. Let us know your thoughts. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Don't leave town. Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, and more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Hi, everybody. It's Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, and we're here talking with Scott Pyle of Pyle Financial Services. Scott, why would folks be well served to contact Pyle Financial Services if they need assistance with their financial planning? Reese, wrapping your wealth around your purpose is not just a slogan. It is the heart and soul of our firm. And how we do that is getting to know you and making sure you know your purpose. Then our keep more strategy is deployed. We want you to keep more so you can spend more and then you can give more and then one day you can leave more. And just this year, Pile Financial Services was recognized as the number one company in the country with our broker-dealer out of Dallas, Texas. It's Powell Financial Services. Reach them anytime at 843-945-4480 or find them online at powellfinancialservices.com. It's Powell Financial Services, aligning wealth with purpose. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, your host, and it is 7.43 on your Saturday morning. Thanks for sharing your Saturday morning with us here on Saturday Morning Coffee. A lot of you checking in on the PCRXcomputers.com text line this morning. James from Myrtle Beach checking in. McConnell is a crook, and I don't disagree, uh, James. I don't disagree. Cadillac Gary checking in. Uh, Andy Thompson checking in. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, uh, Gary. Hope y'all are doing well. We've also got a new texter this morning on the PCRXcomputers.com text line. Got some uh, suggestions for us in the uh, question and answer session coming up with Representative Tom Rice coming up in uh, the 8 o'clock hour. Of course, we'll be talking to Congressman Tom Rice. We've been talking to all our candidates, uh, most of them. I think almost, I think almost all of them are either have been on the show or will be on the show before the uh, primary. June 14 is the primary date coming up. They've all definitely been invited. Yeah, so, uh, so we're looking forward to that, and I invite you guys to stick around. That'll be coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. In the 8 o'clock hour, we'll also be talking to two of my favorite people on the planet, Jeannie and Carter Smith. They run the Coastline Women's Center. And, of course, do great work uh, there uh, dealing with um, uh, unplanned pregnancies, sometimes planned pregnancies. They're just there to be a resource uh, for women who uh, are expecting or about to have a baby or have just had a baby. And uh, they just do great work, and they are going to be joining us here on the uh, program here in the 8 o'clock hour. So look forward to speaking with uh, them. A lot to speak about. We were talking just before the break, Glenn, about what we're seeing electorally, uh, electorally and People are ticked. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are really mad. You go to, of course, you can't go pump gas without seeing stickers uh, on the gas pump. Yeah. Biden did yeah. this. I, I wonder how many people are printing those stickers because they're, everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you almost can't go pump gas now without seeing an insult to the president, which is fine. He yeah. did this, and and it's we were talking about this on the list show. This is entirely self-inflicted, Glenn. It sure it's, is. It's like From day said, one. It's, day al- one. it's almost like you said. It's almost like they want the country to fail. Mm-hmm. And it even, and I'm going to ask Tom Rice this question. I'm, it has made me wonder, is it possible for Congress to behave in a treasonous manner? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it is because the will of the people supposedly is reflected in the will of its representatives. Mm. Should, it's supposed to be supposed to be that's the theory the yeah. legal the legal will of the country is supposed to be as represented and whatever congress says it is is supposed to be the will of the people but you see them continuing now to do things mm-hmm. that are inconsistent with what people want people are ticked when and we didn't even touch on this but there's so many things that we could say we we we, we glanced by this topic on in the previous segment but when people go to the grocery store and they can't buy baby formula for their child but they know that they look on the news and they see that there's tons of baby formula in Poland waiting on Ukrainian refugees arriving from Ukraine. And at our southern border. And and, and at our southern border mm-hmm. because our government paid for it mm-hmm. and put it there. They're ticked. They're robbing America. to. It's like robbing Peter to pay Paul, but we're America. America first. America first. Isn't yes. that wasn't that <laughs> when, when, we we did not we did not send people to Congress to represent the people of Ukraine. We did not. I I feel like we are just totally out of sorts and out of whack. But you mentioned how folks are responding. I mean, the early uh, look at the Ohio primary turnout. Uh, this was just this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, this was Tuesday night. Tuesday's election in Ohio. The primary there. Uh, Democratic turnout down 29 hmm. percent. Uh, Republican turnout up 22 <laughs> percent. Uh, similar uh, data in Texas. Democratic voting uh, just slightly up about 4 percent, but Republican voting up 27 percent. 
And and people are ticked, even on the mainstream media, Glenn, you see a lot of this. Folks who think the country is moving uh, in the wrong direction, mm -hmm. that number has now been at 70% or more right. for two months. So the majority of the people in this country believe that we're moving in the wrong direction, and they've been feeling that for at least two months now. And mainstream media is now covering some of the issues that we have in this country instead of covering it up because they're realizing that that's not the man to take that party forward or this country. So your CNNs, yeah. your MSNBCs, your CBSs, they're actually now reporting on things that the president is doing that is killing our country. Yeah. And that's that's a real change. But also, I think the ratings, you know, the failure of CNN, CNN Plus, I think that's one of the reasons that they're moving more so ratings not to actually tell the truth. Well, and the whole gig is based on a lie. Yeah. You know, it's based on can we gaslight these folks, Glenn, get them to do what we want them to do and continue to maintain our power yep. by manipulating the matrix. We're going to manipulate the information that they get. We're going to present the narrative. We're going to cooperate with Jen Psaki and the Biden administration to present the narrative. And we hope they buy it and they continue to vote the way we want them to vote. And if we have to, you know, whatever we got to do. Hmm. But I think they realize now the gig is up. Yeah. And I predict, as we were talking about Bill Maher, I, Bill Maher, <laughs> yeah, they were talking about it uh, on his show uh, last night. And, and he said, you know, Republicans, uh, I think he had Donna Brazil on there. And she was trying to spin her way around all this polling data that we're seeing now from the early voting, the early the primaries and, and, and other sources. It's becoming fairly widespread, fairly apparent that everybody is ticked. And, and she was trying to spin it, of course. And he said, <laughs> Donna. Democrats going to get their asses kicked. Yeah, I mean it's as simple as that. And uh, now he's not ready to identify himself as a Republican. I think he's wrong. He said I'm going to part with Elon Musk. But it's like you said, right. people are leaving the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party has left them. Well, and anybody that says that our country is headed in the right direction is not of their. They don't have all their faculties, I don't believe, yeah. or they're not paying attention, they're just not or paying. they're just getting the like the news from CBS, CNN. It's like we opened the show, Glenn. If you're not aware of the fact that this country is in deep, deep, deep trouble, and you don't realize that we are running off the rails, the, the, the train is not on the tracks. No. The train is not on the tracks. And, and if you don't realize that, you, one. you are asleep at the wheel. Uh, really. But we've got a caller on the line. Do we have time for a call? Yeah, yeah we do. We, we've got our friend Larry Biddle, who has dialed in this morning to share a little bit of his morning with us here on Saturday Morning Coffee. Larry, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Reese. We're phenomenal. I, I wanted to tell you about uh, what's going on at Beach Mountain. You know, this is becoming probably one of the world's finest downhill biking resorts. Mm -hmm. They're putting in another Doppelmeyer right up where they took down the original uh, lift. I have some of those chairs. It they put them on sale many years ago for a hundred bucks. I said, well, I got to have two of those. That's where all my kids learn. Yeah. But anyway, uh, you, you are gonna, and I know you tried to come to our house up here and, and, uh, but it was, I think it was rented for your weekend, but they are, uh, th this has become, this will be three Doppelmeyers. Those things are like a half a million, I think. Oh yeah. But, yeah. You know, they're building, they're building the, the you know, the, the, the cement towers. And I mean, this thing, thing is going to be spectacular. Well, and uh, it, it's quite a course, uh, y'all. And I know you do a lot of that. And I thought, well, you got to be aware of what they're doing. Boy, yeah. it's amazing what they're, what they're doing. Any, yeah. Anytime you want to have us up, Larry, you uh, you let us know. My son and I, we will be there with bells on. Hey, there was um, uh, 
another question I wanted to ask you. I think you um, uh, talked about, um, did I hear you speaking about the, the College of the Ozarks litigation? Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really phenomenal. Yeah. Fred, Fred's general mercantile, he has known that president of that university. He was just retiring by well, today. Before you, before, you, before you say that, let me, let me just remind folks of what it is. The College of the Ozarks has uh, started a lawsuit. They recently asked for a temporary restraining order, but I, I learned about that through the Alliance Defending Freedom, Larry, and I'm an, I'm an ADF allied attorney. Our firm helps uh, ADF with cases in South Carolina and elsewhere. But the, the, the lawsuit challenges, because uh, College of the Ozarks, people may not know, it's a Christian college, um, and yeah. the, the, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development has now issued a rule which requires them to have co-ed dormitories. Well, they've never had co-ed dormitories, <clears throat> excuse me, at the College of the Ozarks. And so they've sued the government to say, hey, we're a private institution. And, and so yeah. that, uh, that case is making its way through the courts. But go ahead. I wanted to give folks the background. Well, you know, and it's not just dormitories. It's restrooms, too. It's all this woke restroom business. Uh, yeah, it's that yeah. part of it as well. That's why he's on it. Yeah. Well, and Fred, 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 you know, I think all these guys. There's about five or six of them. They're they're uh, they're Vietnam vets. And Fred Fole, who runs Fred's Mercantile, Fred's General Merchandise. You know, he is one of them. So they were, and you'll love this story. <laughs> they they sent a Learjet from the College of the Ozarks to pick five Vietnam vets up on Friday to take them to the celebration today because today is armed forces day, um, you know, uh, nationwide. So Fred is up there. He was so excited about it. I, I pulled up, you know, to, to get some stuff we needed here. And he pulled up next to me and he, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wish I started talking. He said, yeah, I got to go get my ears lowered. Well, you know what that means. Yeah. A haircut. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going on the Learjet from college of the Ozarks to, uh, uh, you know, to celebrate this big thing of the retirement. And they, they've chosen a new president, too. I was looking at it, a lot of it. Yeah, well, Larry, we got to go to a hard break, but we look forward to getting up to uh, Beach Mountain and doing some mountain biking with you. And uh, we'll, uh, we're will we going to be following this case and reporting on it more. So, uh, listen, we got to run, but call back anytime. We always love to have you on the show. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Y'all have a great day. And happy yeah. birthday. Happy birthday to Miss Jeannie. Yeah, thank you. She's yes. right here listening. All right, very love good. Y'all. y'all have a great day. Folks, it's Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd, and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors, Don't Leave Town. Saturday Morning Coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. Hi, everybody. It's Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, and we're talking today with Greg Sisson of the Greg Sisson Real Estate Team. Greg, a question that's on a lot of people's minds is what's going on with this real estate market? Is there a bubble? Do you see a crash coming or a rise in foreclosures? That's the question people want to know, Reese, foreclosures, are they coming? Well, 82% of all the folks that were in forbearance coming into COVID are out of forbearance, meaning they've worked it out with their lender. The remaining 18% that haven't, they have massive equity in their home. So even if they can't make their payment, they're able to sell their property and still put money in their pocket. So no, we don't see a foreclosure crisis coming. But call me to talk about your situation. Reach Greg and the Greg. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk 94.5.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It's 8.05 on your Saturday morning. Thanks for joining us here on the show. As promised, we've got a very special guest joining us here on the show. We've been trying to invite candidates in the forthcoming congressional primary, the race for the South Carolina 7th District. Uh, congressional seat currently held by Tom Rice. Several challengers have thrown their hats in the ring as well. I think last week we had uh, Russell Fry with Savannah. Savannah yep. was here, and you had uh, Russell Fry on the show. That mm-hmm. went well, I thought. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think next week we've got, I think Ken Richardson is going to be joining us next week on the show. This week we've tried to invite everybody, at, at least have an opportunity to be on the show. And this week we've invited Congressman Tom Rice, who now joins us here on the program to talk about what's going on in uh, D.C. as your congressman and tell, to tell us about his effort to be uh, re-elected to the seat that he now holds. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us here on Saturday Morning Coffee. How are you, Reese? Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, sir. How's everything going for you? It's going very well. Uh, three and a half weeks till primary day. Everybody get out there and vote on June 14th. Yes, I think uh, I think we're going to have a, an energized electorate. I think turnout is going to be high. Any, any thoughts on... Uh, Voter turnout, or I assume um, folks are, are active, energized. Do you feel like folks are engaged? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, you know, if you look at what's going on around the country, I think people are really paying attention to the uh, primaries. So it's, it's you know, normally it's really hard to get people out in primaries. And then it's even harder in the runoff, you know, to get people out twice. Yeah. So, and South Carolina is kind of unique with the two week runoff. So we, we got to, keep people aware and keep people energized yeah and now tom i think everybody knows who you are usually folks come on the show they want to talk about their background and their you know their bio and why they are running for congress what what prompted them to throw their hat in the ring you of course are known quantity and when were you first elected to the seat uh i was elected in uh 2012 took office january 2013 okay so this will be your sixth term if you're reelected, correct that's correct. Excellent. Yeah. I've been nine years going on 10. Yeah. And um, so one of the things, I, of course, I know you for many years, you were a, you were a law, lawyer here in Ory County, and I think you served a term as uh, chairman of county council. And then this congressional district was actually created uh, 10 years ago as a result of the census redistricting. And so you were the initial uh, individual to hold that seat, correct? That's right. And, you know, I ran on three things. People forget about what it was like then. Uh, but, you know, the average unemployment rate at that time across the district was around 12 to 13 percent. Florence was, I think, the only county that unemployment under 10. Ori was 12.8. We have three of the poorest counties in the, in the state in this district, Marion, Dillon, and Marlboro, and they were all around 16 percent. And I ran on jobs, jobs, jobs. Those were my three issues. I wanted everybody to have a shot, everybody to have an opportunity. You get somebody a job, you take them off of uh, government uh, uh, support, and you solve lots of problems, crime problems, drug problems, and so forth. And, and uh, you know, I pushed American competitiveness. When Trump came in, he called it Make America Great Again. I was calling it Make America Competitive Again. And uh, I supported him on the floor. 95 percent of the time because his policies my his policies were my policies before he was ever there mm-hmm. and with i was right in the middle of some of his biggest wins with tax reform and trade reform and uh the results 
that combined with the Dillon Inland Port infrastructure were astounding. And, you know, uh, unemployment fell across the district by 75%. Poverty was down at record lows and still much lower than it was in 2013 in both categories. And wages were rising at the fastest clip in 50 years. So uh, I'm real, real proud of what I've got done. And then you throw in on top of that things for tourism like beachfront renourishment and things for farmers like new farm bills and, you know, disaster recovery and flood mitigation money. You got $165 million for flood for, to, for flood resiliency that's being spent right now across the district. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've been really effective and delivered for the district. Well, good. Let me ask you uh, a question. And I know most folks um, obviously understand that uh, you are, you, you've got a, quite a record. Now, and for folks who may not understand, when you say the Dillon Inland Port, that's a lot of folks may not even realize what that is. What is the Dillon Inland Port? Let's just chat that, chat about Dillon, that. Briefly. The Dillon Inland Port is, uh, you know, when people haul cargo to the Charleston Port, and the Charleston Port is one of the busiest in the southeast, and it's one of the reasons why Charleston has such a vibrant economy with high-paying jobs that we don't have typically in this district in the Grand Strand in the PD, and we need more investment like that. And so what they typically do is they drive a truck out of North Carolina down 95 to I-26 and take a left and go into Charleston, and they put their load down in Charleston. And uh, along the way, they pollute, and they tear up the roads, and they create noise and traffic and everything else. So instead of putting a lay-down yard in Charleston, they create a lay-down yard at Dillon with a direct rail connection to the Charleston port. And the people can just come across the line there from North Carolina, drop their load right there in Dillon. And if people want to import and export, instead of having to move to Charleston and hire people down there at higher wages and find, uh, find property that's more expensive to open, have their buildings and warehouses and such, they can open in Dillon and Marion and Marlboro. And, and the result of that is 2,000 jobs in two years. Yeah. So basically what we're doing when you say Dillon Inland Port, we're basically expanding the loading dock for the Charleston Port to Dillon County is basically what we're doing. Exactly. And so the result of that was with tax reform, which I helped draft, with trade reform, which I was on the negotiating team that went to Mexico City and to Montreal to to negotiate the new uh, USMCA. And then with the Dillon Inland Port, all those things that really boosted the economy in the whole country, but particularly in the Grand Strand and the PD. The unemployment rate in Marion County, poorest county in the state, or it was before this, fell from 16.3% when I took office to 3.4% two years ago just before COVID. Hmm. And it's below 5% now. So, I mean, I, that is that's imp- nothing that I've been yeah. more proud of. Than. Yeah, and that's impressive. Now, I will say this, Tom, I think one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about briefly, we got a lot to cover. There's so much to ask you about, and we do appreciate your time. How much time do we have? How much time do we have? Uh, is it one or two days? Uh, one or two days? I'm kidding. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tom, it's a two-hour, I tell you, it's a two-hour show. We're about an hour into it already, and I'll give you as much time as you want to talk. You want to talk to 9 o'clock? We go off. I think we could even run through the 9 o'clock hour. Glenn, yeah. We'll sit here as long as you want to talk. Yeah. How about that? Uh, but right, but clearly, yeah, things are a hot mess now in this country. Um, you said you were, you know, up until two years ago, you, we dropped unemployment in Marion County from 16 to, to under 4%. Great job there, but things are a hot mess now, and I think people are really concerned. All the polling is showing it that people are concerned if the if the country 
is even going to make it much longer with this president, this administration, and this Democratic Congress. What is your take on where we are? What do we do to turn this country around? Well, the first thing we have to do is get the Republicans where they had at least one lever of power, and I think we'll have that in November with the House and hopefully the Senate. And so we'll be able to at least put the brakes on uh, some of the progressive, liberal, socialist you know, nonsense that the Democrats want to push through. The good thing is that, you know, there's been at least a couple of Democrats who've been willing to stand up and prevent, you know, their biggest expansion of socialist policies from becoming law. Thank goodness for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. But the way our our government works, you have to have a majority consensus. It's hard to make a law. And right now, the Republicans don't have any any, uh, uh, levers of power. Thank goodness for the filibuster in the Senate because— and it's held, and the Democrats haven't been able to do away with that. Uh, and so uh, on almost everything, it, you have, they'll have to pick up at least 10 Republican votes, which is very unlikely for these progressive policies. What, do, what are your projections for the midterms? Do you think we'll get the House and the Senate? What, what are your thoughts? I think, you know, I think you're right. I think the mood of the country is sour, and I think they're worried about crime. I think they're worried about the southern border, and I think the thing that I hear mostly in this district is inflation. And so I, I think, you know, they recognize, and I agree with them, that the Biden administration has been a failure on almost every single count. And the way we've devolved in Washington is that, you know, if the president is on your team and you are in control of the House or the Senate, then you basically just don't question what the president does. And I think that's a problem for Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. Under the Constitution, you know, we're supposed to... Uh, we're supposed to make the laws, and the administration is supposed to carry out those laws. They can't make them. And, you know, the way we've devolved is, well, if we can't reach consensus and make a law, then we'll just let the administration do whatever they want, and we will not question them. That's not how Congress is supposed to work. Our uh, forefathers foresaw this. You know, they knew that if you concentrate power too much in one place, that leads to corruption. And over the succeeding 200 years, uh, because of parties, we have allowed too much concentration of power in the executive. And so the Biden administration is allowed to change policies at the border uh, on, on a whim. The Biden administration is allowed to change energy policy, you know, drilling on federal lands and holding up federal permits for pipelines and so forth that run up the price of your gas at the pump. Yeah. And and Democrats don't question that, even though they, they can't reach a consensus to make a law, they bypass the lawmaking process and just allow the administration to do whatever they want. Historically, what should be done is if the administration is not acting the way that it should, we should not fund them. We should not give them appropriation, and we should force them to carry out the will of the people. But the way this devolved, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I was about to say, I I put the bulk of that at the foot of Congress. Frankly, uh, I think the check and balance there, as you said, is, is when the administration gets out of line, Congress defunds them. Don't allow them to spend money on unconstitutional projects. And but people have evolved into this red team, blue team thing, where if the red team, the guys, if you're on the red team and the president's on your team, he can do what he wants to and you're not going to question it. Yeah. If the president, if you're on the blue team and the president's on the blue team, he can do what he wants to and you're not going to question it. And I, that is unconstitutional. And it is against what the, the the checks on corruption that our forefathers put in place. And we've got to get back to it. 
I'll tell you, Reese, I, I think, you know, one of the biggest problems is, is that throughout my lifetime, I mean, from Eisenhower until today, every president up until Barack Obama tried to bring people together and tried to work on both sides of the aisle with, you know, some more successful than others. But Barack Obama and Donald Trump and, and, uh, and uh, Joe Biden have not done that. And I think it's tearing the country apart. I really do. I mean, I, I like, I love Donald Trump's policies. I voted with him 95% of the t- time on the floor. But he was not somebody who brought people together. And we desperately need, right now, <laughs> we desperately need a leader who's going to try to bring people together. Well, I would, I, you know, I would take a little bit of an issue with that. Was that was that because, and I agree with you as to Barack Obama, I was excited, uh, Tom, when Barack Obama got elected on one level. I didn't vote for him. But on one level, I thought, well, finally, we've, we've entered a this post-racial America that we've all been talking about, where we can finally achieve... I, I, a, thousand, I a thousand percent agree with exactly what you said. I felt exactly the same way. I did not vote for him, didn't support him, didn't necessarily think he was going to be a good president, but I hoped he would bring us together, and it was the opposite. Yeah. But I, don't, I personally don't believe that Trump set out to divide the country. I just think there were a lot of people who just didn't like him and refused to acknowledge uh, his legitimacy as pregnant from uh, as, as pregnant as pre- president from day one. And and of course, Joe Biden, for his role in all this, ran on the the only thing he offered in his uh, inaugural speech was I'm going to unify the country. And I think he's done everything in his power to divide the country. I think I think that with respect to uh, Donald Trump, I love his policies and I help him enact his biggest wins. But I think he's a kind of a confrontational guy and not a guy who's going to try to build consensus. He's going to try to you know, push through exactly the way he wants. And when he had a Republican Congress, he could do that. And once the Republican Congress went away, and of course, Pelosi's worse than Donald Trump is. They're both, you know, you know she's super confident. When you think about her ripping up his speech when he's doing the State of the Union, I mean, how incredibly divisive is that? And and to have two leaders there that are that way is is certainly a struggle for the country. And then I, you know, I a thousand percent agree with you on what you said with uh, Joe Biden, where, uh, where uh, you know, he, he ran on bringing the country together. I didn't support him. I didn't think he would be a good president. He's proven me correct. But I did believe him when he said he would try to bring the country together, and he's done exactly the opposite. Yeah. What, what, well, let me just say this. One of the things that I've thought about is, you know, and I heard this uh argued yesterday as a matter of fact just this week somebody said you know greg abbott was uh, governor of texas was on the was uh, being interviewed and he said you know i've had a million people cross my border uh illegally i mean this is an invasion congressman and let's just call it what it is and the president the sitting president of the united states has not so much as picked up the phone to call me uh about what's happening in texas not once has, has and in he, times past if the president didn't enforce the laws at the border the Congress would cut his funding in 10 different ways, and he would be forced to carry out the laws of the land. So, you know, George Washington, George Washington was a distiller. He made whiskey. And, uh, and, and while George Washington was serving his first term, the Congress enacted a, a whiskey tax, and there was a rebellion. And George Washington, as executive, was charged with putting down that rebellion of whiskey makers. Do you think he wanted to do that? 
No. But he recognized the duty was to enforce yeah. the law. He had to and enforce the law. We have lost that. So I, We've lost that. So that, that interview prompted some speculation that when Republicans do take the House and the Senate, which I believe they will, that just for sheer dereliction of duty, that this president will be impeached. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily like that idea because I don't like who's standing in the wings. But how would you feel about, uh, do you think that would be something that would happen? And would you support it? Um, I, you know, I, I don't see what he's done uh, yet in terms of, of uh, that would rate impeachment. I'm curious about the financial transactions uh, with Hunter Biden, because I suspect that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm on, I was on the trade subcommittee in, in uh, Ways and Means for a long time, and it was very clear to me what Trump's trade policy was, and I backed him up 100 percent. But I can't even discern what Joe Biden's trade policy is, and I wonder if some of that is not related to financial transactions between Hunter Biden and foreign countries. Yeah, I think so. It's the- if, that, if, if if what I suspect is true, I think that would rise to the level of peace. Well, and, and frankly, uh, Congressman, if you're not, I agree with you, and I think his trade policies are largely driven by by family, the, the family conglomerate, and what benefits the family conglomerate, possibly. Well, so if that's true, that if that's true, that's impeachment. But, but we got to know that's true. But how can you not? What, how can you not impeach? Democrats in control. How can you? With Democrats in control, they won't even ask the question. Yeah. There's no. There's been not a hearing, and re- because Republicans don't hold any lever of power, we don't have the power in Congress because we're in a minority. We can't even hold a hearing. I mean, I call for a hearing. On. Well, and you've raised well, and how can? But how can you not impeach a con uh, a congressman? How can you not impeach a president? Congressman, for not defending the border of this country. We, we just spent another thing I wanted to ask you about. We just we just allocated $40 billion to defend the borders of Ukraine, and he's not even defending the border of Texas. I agree with you. I agree with you. And and, and I will say, too, that our, the way our immigration law has evolved, it's just we need to throw it in the trash can and start all over again. Uh, and I'd when, agree with you on that. Repu- Absolutely. When Republicans had, uh, had the Congress, we actually put up two bills. One's called the Good Lat One and Good Lat Two. That one was one had e-verify, which I think is the key piece, and the other didn't to tighten our immigration laws. And Republicans controlled the House, and it and it failed. I think forty Republicans voted against it. It failed by about twenty votes. Now leadership didn't help us get it across the line. Yeah. Uh, and I worked it with Bob Goodlatte to try to get a new stronger immigration bill while Republicans were in control of the House and it didn't get across the line. So there's there's not consensus in Congress, I can tell you that. I'm a big hawk on immigration, but not everybody is, not even all the Republicans are. So let me ask you this question, Congressman. You raised the uh, the Donald Trump issue and we, we you chatted. We were asking you about impeaching this president, but let's talk about the elephant in the room for a minute. You're getting a lot of pushback on the campaign trail, from what I can tell, over this vote in January of 2020. 21 to impeach Donald Trump. That was a vote you made. Uh, it's angered a lot of folks, and it seems to be a, a, a lingering anger. A lot of folks still mad about it. What 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 justified that vote in your mind? Well, you know, <laughs> I have noticed. Uh, yeah, I have noticed. The yeah, pushback, and you know, uh, uh, I've gone through this so many times, but just the real short version of it yeah, is just the thumbnail. That, yeah, the short, the short version is that I, again, I supported Donald Trump 
uh, you know, 95% of the time uh, on the floor, 94%. I was the highest in the South Carolina delegation in terms of voting with him until January 6th. But then, you know, a president, just like we were just talking about, a president can't uh, send a mob down there to beat up Congress and see the, see the White House, I mean, the Capitol sacked, and sit there in his dining room in the White House surrounded by Secret Service watch the Capitol Police get beaten for four hours and and tell uh, and say Mike Pence is a, is a, a coward. Now, Mike Pence doesn't have courage uh, in the middle of it, while Mike Pence and his wife and his daughter are hiding out in the Capitol. And, you know, not expect us to have some uh, uh, consequence of that. Yeah. I think in past Congresses, I think if our founding fathers had been in Congress, he would have absolutely been impeached. But we've gotten into this red team, blue team thing where, you know, if you guys are on your side, you're not supposed to hold him accountable. Yeah. And I absolutely believe, I, I really can't think of much worse that a president could have done. I mean, you can argue about whether that speech that morning was incitement or not. But I, I think that, that you talk about dereliction of duty. When he sits there and watches it on TV and takes pride in all these people beating up Capitol Police officers. Uh, while he's sitting safely around uh, with Secret Service around him. No, that infuriates me. I'm still infuriated about it. I still believe he should be held account- accountable for it, and that's the way I voted. And but, I would vote that way against Mark. Well, but you, well, you've answered all my follow-up questions. I'll give you that. Um, but you would agree, he, when he sent the—I I say he sent the mob. I mean, he, he did say that we were going to go to the Capitol and have a peaceful demonstration, correct? I mean, that— Again, yeah, parse words, buddy. Yeah. I, again, you can argue about what his speech was, but— but when he sat there for three hours, how can you say you're for law enforcement? Mm-hmm. How can you say that? And you sit there and watch him get beat up for four hours and don't lift a finger to try to stop it. Yeah. I truly cannot imagine any president in my lifetime that would have done that. I truly cannot. And I just, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I feel I thought, in my opinion, he should be held accountable for it. And I still feel he should be held accountable for it. So, so, and the politician. I mean, I, I tend to think, and I, I know we don't need to beat a dead horse. You've gotten a lot of pushback on the campaign trail, a lot of folks upset about it, but I tend to think voters are a very forgiving lot, uh, Congressman. Many times they don't even remember, much less uh, they don't, they don't, for, not, they don't have to forgive because they don't, they forget, but they're, they tend to be a, uh, uh, a, a, a very forgiving lot. I mean, we can argue about, I mean, look, I think there was a lot going on on the Capitol that day. And I think that I think the answer is very complex. We've learned some things about the FBI that are very disturbing. Um, I don't know exactly what the truth is, and I don't think anybody knows exactly what the truth is. And you're in a better position to know uh, than I am, certainly. But I don't think we'll ever know the full details of exactly what happened on that day. But you, you're renewing your commitment to that vote. I respect that. Um, but what about did you ever consider I think voters would have probably pushed this issue to the side at some point if you if you had just said, you know what, maybe I'd reconsider if I had it. Did you ever think about trying to walk that vote back or, or, or reconsider your position on the, on, the, on the whole thing, just if nothing else? Because in the, in the end, did it, did it really matter? Did it really matter, the vote to, to impeach him? Did it really accomplish anything? Uh, I wish that she hadn't bought the impeachment vote. I thought it was, in, 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 uh, I thought it was divisive for the country. Uh, but if, if I'm forced to vote on whether he should be held accountable for what he did that day, there's no question in my mind. I know everything I need to know. I, I know everything I need to know. Just 
when I, you know, when I was sitting there uh, after being evacuated from the Capitol in another congressman's office, and he had Fox News on TV, and and I kept waiting for him to come on, and he never came on and said, this has got to stop. Uh, And he never made any effort to try to stop it. Uh, I knew all I needed to know. So, no, I think he should have been held accountable. I think our forefathers would have expected us to hold any president accountable. And, and And I will also say two things. One, I get 10 times as many people come up to me and say thank you as say I'm disappointed in your vote. Uh, and I know it's easier to say thank you than yeah. to, to say I'm disappointed. And number two, if, you know, right after when Barack, when Trump got elected and, and Inauguration Day was going around, there was all, you know, all these constant gossip goes around the Internet and people were forwarding me stuff, as they always do, from the Internet, saying that Barack Obama was going to declare martial law and, you know, for whatever reason, try to stay in power. And I promise you, if Barack Obama had done exactly the same thing that Trump had done, the very same people who are angry at me over the Trump vote would have been wanted me to be the first in line to impeach Barack Obama, and I would have done it. So I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. Do it if if, uh, if well, the other team fault and, and not do it when my team fault. Nancy Pelosi would not have been leading the charge. She would not have given you that uh opening. But uh, let me ask you this question, Tom. One of the things, I mean, I, I think the country is in a, in a very precarious uh, position. I ask, and I had, uh, I had uh, on the show uh, a few, a few weeks ago, we had uh, one of my political uh, heroes, John, appear on the show. I said, John, how do we fix Congress? And, and uh, we were talking about various things going on. And he said, you know, what we need in Congress is more citizen legislators. Um, do you consider yourself a citizen legislator, and, and would you agree with that statement? Absolutely, I consider myself a citizen legislator. You know, I, I had a tax law seat. I was, a, I was an accountant and a tax lawyer, and I, I, I retired when I was 50 years old and and uh, stayed retired for three years and then jumped into politics just to try to help. I thought, thought I had a talent that would help, and I think my actions in Congress have really affected this country and this district, and people have a shot at the American dream that they didn't have 10 years ago. Uh, and, you know, I fought like hell to get on the uh, uh, Ways and Means Committee. I'm the first person in 40 years from South Carolina on the Ways and Means Committee, and only the second person since the Civil War from South Carolina on the Ways and Means Committee. I, I'm the ranking member now on the Oversight Subcommittee on Ways and Means, which is, you know, the Ways and Means is the most powerful committee in Congress. It's the only one mentioned in the Constitution. It's the one with the broadest jurisdiction. And if I move up one more slot I'll in the next Congress, I'll, I'll at least be chairman of oversight, but I will I may well be chairman of the Tax Subcommittee on Ways and Means, which is exactly where I need to be to help our tax code become even more competitive in the world and create more opportunity for people uh, throughout the country in South Carolina, but especially right here in this district. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not doing this to to make money. I'm doing this to try to help. And I'm so proud of what I've got done. Yeah. And I want to, I want to, I want to make this place where we are. And for too often, too long, you know, uh, on the Grand Strand and the PD, our children and our grandchildren have had to leave here to have a real shop. I mean, we got lots of jobs in tourism and agriculture, but they're not good paying jobs. And we need, we need good paying jobs. And we've come so far in 10 years and i want to keep doing this and i want to make us where 
kids from other areas are coming here for that opportunity. And, I, and I, again, I'm proud of where we've come, and I want to keep doing it. Well, Tom, if uh, we've taken a lot of your time this morning, if folks want to get in touch with you, find out uh, how to follow your campaign, how can they do that? Well, you know, uh, I tell you, I, I got to point out a couple things, yeah. Reese. Uh, you know, Russell Fry, this guy that Trump endorsed, I don't think his endorsement team uh, really spent a whole lot of time vetting Russell. But I pointed out in my ads, and please, people, just uh, put documentation up on the website. Russell missed 640 votes in seven years. That is a year's worth of votes in seven years. Now, now Reese, what would you do if you hired somebody to work full-time in your law firm, a paralegal or a receptionist, and they came to work four days a week instead of five? What would you do? Well, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd get rid of them, of course. You'd fire but... them. You know you would fire them. And, and that's what the voters ought to do to Russell Fry. <laughs> this guy, he's lazy. He doesn't show up for work. He says, well, I've only missed eight days in, in the state house. You know why? Because he wants to get his per diem. So he goes in and he votes on one thing, he gets his per diem, and then he doesn't vote the rest of the day. And so he's missed a year's worth of votes. Come on, guys. That is the basic function of a representative is that, is that uh, he, he represents you. He votes your interest, and he doesn't show up. He, he shows up, he gets his per diem, and then he goes and yucks it up with a lobbyist in the lobby or whatever he does. But he's not there voting for you. But you know he voted he, he voted for the biggest gas tax in, increase in, or the biggest tax increase period in South Carolina history, twelve cent gas increase. Yeah, and you know now you got gas tax uh, gas at four dollars a gallon. Well, you can blame Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin and Russell Fry for that. Well, let, let me He's, ask uh, let me let me ask you let me let me ask you one one point of my wife seven thousand dollar PPP loan that she paid back in five weeks. Now, all the documentation's on the website, priswise.com. And then and she paid it back with interest in five weeks because she figured out she didn't need it. And Russell took a $160,000 PPP loan and didn't pay back a single dime. It left the tax, taxpayers holding the bag. What a hypocrite. Well, let me let me ask you this question, Tom. He's a, he, Tom, he, let, me, he's run, let me... Let me finish, and then, then, I'll, then you can ask me questions on all this. He's run. He, his ad says we need a true conservative. He's got a he's got a fifty eight lifetime score from the American Conservatives Union that puts him in the bottom twenty five percent of South Carolina Republicans and the bottom ten percent of Republicans nationwide. He is anything but a conservative. His Club for Growth score, which I know you're familiar with, the Club for Growth Reese, for lifetime is in the thirties. The thirties. Wow. He never saw a pork barrel project or a special interest he didn't love. Well, and boy, I tell you, Washington will, would swallow him alive. Well, let, let me let me ask and, you let, let me ask you this question, okay. Tom, because I I, I want to make sure we're fair to Russell, and I appreciate I appreciate you uh, offering. If you want to see the, if you want to see the documentation, yeah. go to frontlines Everything I just said is fully documented on there. He's not a true conservative. He doesn't show up for work. He's a lazy liberal, is what he is. But if if and if he, if Russell if Russell had missed if Russell had missed six hundred votes, uh, Tom, I, I think we would have heard about it, wouldn't we? I mean that that is a extraordinary you're, you're amount of, of voting to miss, and and hey, I, I mean, hey, the, Reece, yeah, I've got the list. I, I called the state house. Mm-hmm. I, I called the clerk, and I said, send me a list of Russell's missed votes. 
So I've got the complete list. It's like, I don't know, eight pages long or something like that. Yeah. And it's on FriesWise.com. Pete responded very weakly in the debate. Oh, well, <clears throat> that's because of conflict of interest. So, for example, he didn't vote on distribution of the CARES Act funding. He didn't vote on, you know, the, the lady that got uh, strangled and, and killed by the Uber driver in Columbia. They passed a law that required those Uber drivers to get to display their licenses. He didn't vote on that. I don't know what his conflict would have been. He didn't vote on. Uh, uh, he didn't vote on the biggest tax decrease uh, that they just they, they just passed because he was down at Mar-a-Lago begging Trump for an endorsement. Well, well, I mean, Tom, we we have got we have got to go. We've got a hard break, and we're running way over on this interview. But let me just say this: I I want to draw a distinction. I think there is a distinction between missing a vote and recusing yourself for a vote. I don't know. He doesn't. I don't. I don't know the reason that all those votes were missed, but folks can look it up and do their own due diligence and and check out the website and and make and draw their own conclusions. Wise, there's yeah. a list of every vote that he's missed on there, and it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, this he's the kind of politician that gives politicians a bad name, and what? that's saying a lot. Well, Congressman, <laughs> listen, you've uh, we've given you we've given you a fair shot at the mic. I appreciate your time. I thank you for coming on the show, and uh, good luck in the primary. And come back on the show anytime. Always love to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Bye. folks. It's uh, Congressman Tom Rice, candidate for the South Carolina Seventh Congressional District, and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday morning coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. Don't leave town. Lindsay Fisher with Coastal Podiatry Associates. Let's meet Dr. Bradley Kiefer. I grew up in Loris and moved away, went to college, and after I finished that, I went to uh, Miami, Florida, where I went to Barry University, which is podiatry school, and finished my four years there and went to New Orleans, where I did my residency training. When I was away, and especially in Miami, realized I missed the area, so I decided I wanted to come back. Thankfully, was able to make things work. Dr. Moore and I opened up our practice in 2001, and then we did that for 15 years. All of us that are presently partners at Coastal Podiatry, we all knew each other in and around the community, and we just realized that we liked each other, we got along, and there was a lot of redundancy in services, so we decided that it would be a good idea to kind of merge things together. To make an appointment with Dr. Bradley Kiefer, give us a call at 843-449-FOOT. Visit us at CoastalPodiatry.com. Hi, everybody. It's Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, and we're here talking with Scott Pyle of Pyle Financial Services. Scott, why would folks be well-served to contact Pyle Financial Services if they need assistance with their financial planning? Reese, wrapping your wealth around your purpose is not just a slogan. It is the heart and soul of our firm, and how we do that is getting to know you and making sure you know your purpose then our keep more strategy is deployed. We want you to keep more so you can spend more and then you can give more and then one day you can leave more. And just this year, Pile Financial Services was recognized as the number one company in the country with our broker dealer out of Dallas, Texas. It's Pile Financial Services. Reach them anytime at 843-945-4480 or find them online at pilefinancialservices.com. It's Pile Financial Services, aligning wealth with purpose. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Two full hours. 
on Talk 94.5. In this corner, it's Reese Boyd. Oh, he dropped his mic again. I just, mic drop. <laughs> mic drop. That was perfect. That was perfect. Mic drop. Technical difficulties here at the studio, folks. Good, good interview for you, uh, Reese. Well, thank you, uh, Glenn. We're uh, trying to put the mic stand back together, and uh, Carter's helping me out with that. Nobody can argue that we were not fair uh, with the congressman. Right. Um, we had a lengthy period, and, and he sort of filibustered me there at the end. And I just want to say, I want to say this. I mean, frankly, uh, a lot of the talking points that he was running through at the end, some of them are fair. I mean, I, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, um, uh, Russell did vote for the gas tax. Um, I, I would not have done that. I didn't. I didn't think that tax was a good idea. I don't think it. And I've, you know, we've talked about that on this show before. Uh, Glenn, don't really agree with. Uh, I, I'm just opposed to tax increases. I wouldn't have supported that. And I think right. Russell did support that. But by and large. I think that's got it. Let's see. I think that's got it, Carter. Uh, by and large, well, I'm oh, going to find some duct tape. Yeah, we're going to need some duct tape, Glenn. One of the things that he mentioned and they are making a big deal out of is the uh, number of votes that Russell missed. And according to the uh, information that is being distributed in a mailer that the campaign is mailing out, I think that'll stay, Carter. I just well, maybe not. Um, in a mailer that the campaign is mailing out is uh, that Russell missed uh, 600 votes in his legislative career. You know, frankly, y'all, I've noticed this. I think the, the legislative delegation, they are a team. They work together. And in some instances, they cover for each other. But I honestly think if Russell Fry had missed 600 votes, um, we would have heard about it along the way. Um, Russell's seatmate and uh, the legislature is Heather Ammons Crawford, and she was quoted in an article that was po- now, I'm not familiar with this publication, and I was hesitate. I was hesitant to even uh, go here because I really don't know what this publication is. But there's a there's a uh, publication online called the Palmetto Post, and it indicated that Russell's uh, again, and the congressman conceded that he's that Russell is arguing this, but basically said that Fry has only missed six days of session total, and three of those days because he had a uh, the birth of his son. Basically, that Fry has a 98% attendance record. Heather Ammons Crawford, uh, Fry's seatmate, said in this article, the attacks from Russell's opponents uh, during the debate were baseless. I sit, I sit next to Russell in the South Carolina House, and he does not miss work. I know when he gets to Washington, he'll display, display a strong work ethic and defend our conservative values. I don't want to get into a tit-for-tat. The congressman obviously took a... Uh, an opportunity to run through his talking points. And I encourage you guys to do your due diligence and figure out for yourselves what you uh, believe and what you don't believe. I, I, I believe, frankly, I mean, the, the delegation in my experience, they do uh, cover for one another uh, from time to time. But I believe, frankly, if Russell Fry had missed 600 votes of substance, uh, mm-hmm. that we would have heard about it at some point along the line. And I think uh, Russell has been a, um, a a solid voice for conservatism generally. I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not going to say that. None of these candidates are perfect, no, by the way. Nobody is, yeah. Nobody is. Yeah. Uh, but I think generally he has been a solid voice for conservatism in the General Assembly of South Carolina. And by the way, I, I do know something about the Club for Growth. I sit on the board. Um, I think there's a distinction between <clears throat> Club for Growth National and Club for Growth South Carolina. But I don't think Club for Growth South Carolina 
has any problems with Russell Fry as a candidate uh, for Congress. And right. so I think a lot of those stats are being, um, imagine this, uh, misinterpreted by political candidates uh, for their purposes. A lot of text coming in on the PCRXcomputers.com text line. Many comments about the interview. Um, somebody who's uh, not an identified number uh, on the text line said, ask Tom Rice if he thinks most of the people thanking him are not Democrats. And that's a very good point. Who is thanking uh, the uh, the congressman? So, But I appreciate Tom coming on. I appreciate the time. We uh, we gave him, an, obviously, a, 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 an open opportunity uh, to get through uh, through his points. I encourage you guys. To, to do your own due diligence, uh, vet those, and 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 make uh, an informed decision. And I do encourage everybody uh, to do that and to vote on June 14. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this go this race goes. A lot of good comments on the uh, the PCRXcomputers.com text line, though. Thank y'all for chiming in. Right now, we're running way behind. We are not going to get to a bunch of what I had for you guys this morning. But right now, we are joined in the studio by our next guest. We're joined by Jeannie and Carter Smith with the Coastline Women's Center. And then... I want to just uh, give them a moment to uh, say hello. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Reese, for having us. Oh, y'all are quite Thank welcome. You, always, uh, always a, a pleasure to have you guys in the studio. Y'all, of course, are with Coastline Women's Center. Jeannie, tell us real quickly what Coastline is and what you guys do. Yeah, so we are a um, nonprofit pregnancy medical clinic for moms and babies, dads, uh, families of all of Horry County, and uh, that includes. Uh, providing free confidential um, things of need such as pregnancy tests counseling um, also ultrasound limited ultrasound but then um, the part that I really love is coming alongside the moms and dads when they've decided to parent their baby and so we have a location that provides all the physical items that they need for up to three years we stay with these moms and dads providing diapers wipes you know whatever they may need a lot of mentorship a lot of discipleship and parenting classes along the way yeah well, you guys do great work. I recently had the privilege of joining you at your, uh, you did your, your gala affair in person this year. We've done it a couple of years online, yeah. not in the yeah. real world, but we were back together uh, because of COVID. It had been an online event this year. We were back together, a wonderful dinner uh, and a great evening with, with, and you gave, as I've said here on this microphone, you, you gave one of the best after dinner speeches I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. One of the things you talked about was Roe v. Wade. And you, you made a statement that night that really caught my attention. You said, I've been praying about this, and I believe God is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. I do. And then literally just a couple of weeks later, as I was listening to you say that, I was, we were all praying together at that event. And, I, and for the first time in my life, I had the sense, I really felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me, that Roe v. Wade was on the way out. That was powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And lo and behold, uh, maybe about 10 days later, mm-hmm. We get the leaked opinion that appears to suggest or does suggest that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. Mm-hmm. What, a, what an amazing, I, I, I stopped in my tracks. I've heard so many people say what you said, Reese. I am going to do this, that the Lord had spoken to so many people just saying, I am going to do this. Yeah, and that was an important moment for me because when I was in law school, I argued with my professor incessantly about Roe v. Wade because Roe v. Wade as a legal exercise is just, it's a vacuum. It's a, it's, it's a house of cards built on the sand in a sandbox on the back deck of the Titanic. I mean, it is just, it is, it is a literal uh, mirage. There's nothing of substance to it as a, as a matter of constitutional law. And we argued about this and he said, look, you might be right, Mr. Boyd, but at the end of the day, we have 
uh, Roe and we've got Casey. And Casey stands for the proposition, the Casey, the Pennsylvania case, that if if we were ever going to overturn Roe, we would have done it. And we didn't. And it's the law of the land. And it may not be great law, but it's the law. And it would undermine the court to reverse it now. So it's the law of the land. It's never going to go anywhere. Get over it. And yet here we are talking about an opinion that's being circulated or leaked, I should say, not circulated in draft form. But it repeals Roe and Casey because they very much stand together. Mm-hmm. And 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 yet we're so we're looking at a at a whole new era that that you guys have been praying about and we've all been praying about for years. But it appears to be I don't want to, you know, get too far out over my skis. Yeah. <laughs> so, Carter, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, you know, um, I, I think I think we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Even even if it's overturned and it comes back to the states, mm-hmm. we still we're still going to have some challenges. Uh, but I can tell you this for Coastline Women's Center, nothing is going to change for us. We're yeah. going to continue to focus on the young women and speaking truth and and showing them uh, their value and their dignity. And also, we will continue to show them that life begins in the womb at conception, and and we show them through ultrasound the life that's in their womb. So, yeah, I, I think that's important, Carter, to remember. And and people are out protesting. Of course, the activist abortion rights start a summer of rage. They, they've they've declared this the summer of rage. And of course, a lot of what you're seeing and hearing is um, really disheartening. Frankly, it, it it shows you how far we've come in this culture of death that where we have uh, become to embrace this cult of death as, as part of our, we've, we've, we've transmuted it into some sort of personal right. But this decision, if they issue it, it doesn't necessarily prohibit abortion for anybody. It just says it's a decision of the States and it's not a matter of federal constitutional law. The decisions uh, on these issues will go back to the state houses where they should have been all along. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I was looking at, you know, if that happens, you've got 18 states presently that are set to protect life from conception forward. So okay. essentially there'll be no abortion in eight states. And this is, uh, excuse me, four states will protect life when a heartbeat is detected. Mm-hmm. That's where South Carolina falls. You've got mm-hmm. Iowa, Ohio, Georgia, and South Carolina that will prohibit uh, abortion procedures with you know obviously there's sometimes the rape uh, the, the we've got some exceptions that are built in but generally abortions will be prohibited after the heartbeat eight states will protect life based on gestational age and then 20 states will not protect unborn life at all so what can folks be doing how can they get involved and how can they help they have to speak up um i i think we really need to look at more abolishment than incrementalizing and um just speak up get unified we all need to come together and um, stand for life and write a narrative that will work for our state and be prepared for the days ahead and just stand strong uh, amen thanks so much y'all for coming in folks it's coastline women's center closing wisdom google them look them up folks let me leave you with this bit of uh, wisdom from the proverbs Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. I want to thank Jeannie and Carter for coming in. Folks, y'all have a great week. Be blessed and join us next week for more Saturday Morning Call. Thank you, Reese. Mm, Two of the you. nicest people I ever met in my life right there. Amen to that. Thank y'all for coming in. Y'all have a great week.
Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5.